1: Hey
0: Mitch
1: Hey Mitch Hey Mitch Hey Mitch Hey Mitch Hey
0: Mitch Hey Mitch Okay I'm still out here on the floor of Phoenix Fan Fusion 2019 And right now I have Chris Sheffield What's up guys Hey you know you've been on the podcast before And I'm glad that you're coming back again This time I want to talk to you a little bit more about your movie
1: that's awesome. Yeah, last time I think I was defending Zack Snyder's movie. You so. were? Yeah, <laughs> man <Matt were>. alone.
0: <laughs> no, but it was a good time, so I, I hope you can, co- you can come back again and talk some more movies sometime. Oh, yeah. I'll
1: make more movies. I'll have to defend them in the future. So. Okay, yeah, yeah. Also, this is also true. Um, so, Split Lit. Yes. How long of a process was it to, from writing down to in production? Uh, thanks to Facebook's little like, hey, here were you were, here you were five years ago thing. Uh, I've been able to find out that it was almost exactly five years ago that really? I started writing it. Yeah, um, I mean the, the the concept of split lip existed when I was in college. I was making uh, like little fight scenes, and we called those split lips. So there's a series of those on YouTube, like deep in the YouTube archives. If you look, you'll find the first one from back when we were still in film school. So I think we made about six of those, uh, but the concept never went anywhere beyond that. It was just individual fight scenes. Um, so I just kept kind of the name and the the spirit of it somewhere deep in my brain uh, until uh, about five years ago I started writing a script. And uh, my basically my, my idea was I wanted to write a film that was indie but that had enough kick that it'd be worth watching, mm-hmm. uh, but it was something that I could pull off if... If every other member of my crew, but my cast, dipped out on me, would I be able to finish the movie? Kind of thing, because I knew that I wasn't going to have a lot of resources going into it. Um, so then I wrote Split Lip. I initially, was supposed to be just take place over the course of one day. But as I started writing it and talking, talking to other artists about it, um, this kind of like community showed up of people that just really wanted to be a part of it, wanted to be in it, and wanted to like help me make it. So um, I decided that I had more resources than I thought. So I kind of expanded the story, made it a little bit bigger, which is really cool. Yeah.
0: So, well, is just fight scenes, is the, like you said, that's where you started off with the old YouTube videos, but is that like a thing that you've always been passionate about?
1: Um, so, uh, I read a quote when I was in school. Uh, do you remember the, the Thomas Jane Punisher movie? Yes. Okay. So, I read a quote from the director of that movie who was responding to criticism that there wasn't enough action in this film, and his quote was, uh, we only had 14 million. I can't make an action film for 14 million. And you know, for me, as like a young guy who didn't know anything about film budgets and like you know what it's like up in the, in the grander scale of things, I was like, that's insane. Like 14 million. You don't need 14 million to make an action movie. So it became kind of my my little goal to see how much production value I could get out of nothing. Like, could I just take two guys into a parking lot and choreograph and shoot a fight scene that's believable without the use of any you know major set pieces? And so I I kind of started there. And then as I grew, as I continued in my career, um, because I was shooting these things and having fun with them, I started to get hired to shoot these things. So then suddenly I was shooting stuff for people's stunt reels. Or I would get hired to just shoot, like, the action episode of a web series, stuff like that. So it kind of became a a specialty without me realizing it. Oh. Yeah. And so now at this point, um, it's just kind of a trick that I have up my sleeve that... I'm able to interject a lot of production value into something that doesn't have a lot just because I know the tricks involved with the camera and the actors and kind of how to get that, how to make the fight scene really feel good. I'm actually, uh, I was working on the trailer for a film. I won't say the name or anything because this isn't like a good criticism, but the film was beautifully shot. It has actors that you guys will recognize in it. But every time we come to the action scenes, it's just so sloppy. Really? Yeah, and it really, really hurts the pace of the film. And it's crazy because you look at it and you see like you guys obviously had resources, you had money, but somebody wasn't there with that knowledge on the day and you probably couldn't afford at that point you were probably stretched, you couldn't afford to have, you know, a, a second unit director or a fight coordinator come in and plot all that out. So and it's a shame. So I think me being able to have that just kind of in the back of my mind that if no one else is on set to do it or if I don't have the resources to hire somebody to do it, I can pull it off believably myself. Yeah, so it, it started as just kind of like one of my tricks, but it ended up being one of my specialties, and so obviously going into an indie film where you know that you have to kind of pick up the slack for everything else, being able to do that was a big factor in like, should I make an action movie kind of and, thing.
0: And uh, well, what's something that, you know, the normal movie goer or audience member wouldn't know about filming a, an action scene like that? What's something that they wouldn't know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, since, since you do like, the, you know, 14 million, yeah. you know, kind of the, thing. So
1: there's, like, there's different ways to do it. The way that I do it is uh, I, I put it together with a lot of kind of camera distance tricks and a lot of um, editing, like proper editing. Um, obviously, if you watch, like, the team that puts together movies like The Raid, they do things in these long, fluid takes that are gorgeous. And more often than not, they're probably making contact on several of their hits. Like, they probably come out of that pretty bruised up. I mean, there are ways to, you know, flatten the punch so you don't actually knock somebody out. But they're definitely hitting each other. Um, But uh, in mine, most of the actors never come close to hitting each other unless there's a grab involved. Uh, None of the strikes ever land anywhere within half a foot of each other's faces. It's just all camera tricks and editing. I know there's there's that um, interview with uh,
0: Matt Damon when he's doing the Bourne movies. He Mm -hmm. said the... the he had to give a bottle of champagne or something like that, some kind of liquor, to the stunt mm-hmm. man for every time he actually contacted him with the punch. <laughs> so he said, by the end of it, it's like a truckload of just
1: you know alcohol. Yeah. So yeah, remember, there's a, a big behind-the-scenes story from the first Expendables where basically uh, both Stone Cold and uh, Mr. Steve Austin and uh, Sylvester Stallone really, really wanted to make that fight scene work, and they kicked the shit out of each other. Like I think Sylvester Stallone had like a broken disc or something. He had to go oh, to the hospital for that. Held up on the filming yeah they both like if you watch there's a a behind the scenes like kind of vignette you can find on youtube Uh it's funny to watch them both talk about it because they both look like it was the worst day of their lives like (laughs) they're talking about it like it was a war they're so exhausted it's clear but in in the footage you can see they just keep getting up like, let's do it again, let's do it again, but they're totally busted up. And it's honestly, it's one of the best fight scenes in the movie, so good for them. But, yeah, there you go. Yeah. It, made it made it look real, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah worth it. So, I, you know, I, I did I did watch the movie, so... Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, it, it was great. I was part of your 365 Days <laughs> yeah, that's right. Movies Challenge, which is an honor. <laughs> I've been following that journey.
0: Oh, man, you know, it, it has been quite the journey. Yeah. Um, but, you know, obviously there's a... Uh, very m night Shyamalan, you show up in the movie (laughs) yes i do have a cameo yeah so what made you want to do that
1: um i didn't want to do it i wanted to get a better actor to do it but uh we had that location for one specific day and it was just the that was our only availability for it and if you notice it was match cut with another scene Mm -hmm. so i had to have like that specific window and that specific type of building to work with the scene that was being intercut with so that was kind of our only opportunity to do it so we had to do it um I had to kind of be in it just for that. Which is fine, like, I, don't, I don't hate acting at all, it was fun, but um, that's why the scene is so short, because if I had had somebody who was good, it probably would have been a little bit longer. Um, but uh, it, the actor who was in that scene with me, is uh, he's actually been living with me for a long time out in LA, and uh, he was in one of the old, old split lips that we did, uh, where he played kind of like a Mexican assassin, and uh, yeah, he, he had a really fun time doing that, so he was one of the few actors that's actually a callback to the original YouTube shorts. Nice. Yeah, that's so what that was fun to get him in there.
0: What is what goes into that? Having to be in front of the camera and be behind the camera at the same time for a scene.
1: Um, it's slow. I mean, at one point, like it's nice because you don't have to you don't have to explain what you want to somebody you already know what you want out of the moment but it slows everything down because if i'm able to just stand back and watch the camera then i know if i have the take or not but if i'm in it then i have to stop everything and go look at it and then get back in front of the camera and i think a lot of an actor's process actors have such a hard job because a lot of what they have to do is because like making movies is slow it's Mm -hmm. never a fast process uh film sets run 12 hour days for a reason because it there's a lot of like okay this lighting in this corner of the room with this angle is perfect, but if we turn around, we see a bunch of equipment. So when I'm covering a scene of even just two people, if I have to turn around to see other people, we have to take everything down from one side of the room, reset it to the other side of the room, rebuild it for that person. So it's a really slow process. And a part of what an actor does that's magical is that they sort of uh, scrub over all of that in between of their brains so that they can make each moment from each camera angle seem fluid. And, And anything that I can do to compress that process so that an actor doesn't have to do all of that work is better. But if I have to keep leaving, you know, being in front of the camera to go back and watch a take and then get back in front of the camera, then that's a lot of energy that I'm sort of sapping from the set. Mm-hmm. So I don't usually like to do that. Some, some directors can do it, and they, they're great at it, but I would never make a career out of doing that. I would rather just keep things fluid by staying behind the camera and just make sure everything is, you know, on a consistent vibe. Because, like, a, a film set is it's it's very very driven by energy one one bad cog in the wheel could really bring the whole set down Mm -hmm. yeah so you got to kind of especially for the director you're the captain so everything is your fault so like (laughs) you got to keep the energy up you got to keep everybody happy and keep things moving so that everyone from take to take feels like they're doing their best work so how long
0: have you been in the film industry so to speak
1: um i actually i i just got to i just realized this is a reality so i got to put it on my website as of like uh, a couple months ago but i actually have been doing this for a decade it's no, actually been 10 years now. Yeah. And But I mean, that's counting like the, the little jobs that I started taking film school, you know, mm-hmm. up until now, um, you know, or like the little films that I've been making since, you know, like the films I started making before I went to film school until now. Um, but yeah, so it, it's been uh, 10 years of making movies. Uh, as far as being in the actual industry, I would probably count from the time that I moved to L.A. because that's, you know, it's a different, it's a whole different game out there. It's a different kind of uh, ocean that you jump into. So I think I've been in LA for somewhere around six years, so I'd say six years within the professional industry. Ten years of actually just making movies with my hands on a camera.
0: And I imagine you've done a plethora of different positions on a film set. Yes. Yeah. To start off with, like anything that completely
1: surprised you when you when you had to start doing it. Oh man. Okay. So um, I started out in Arizona, and in Arizona things are the industry is a little smaller, so things are on kind of a more personal scale. Um, but in LA, obviously. Um, There is a system of how movies are shot. And it's a system that has been sort of perfected over a long period of time. Um, So things are very specific and jobs are very defined. There's a hierarchy. And every job has their thing that they do. And you don't cross that unless you're asked to. Otherwise, you just kind of do your thing. And so when I was in Arizona, I understood when you're a PA or a production assistant, I always understood that to be like, oh, like the friend of the director that just kind of goes and makes runs for people. It was kind of like a lackey position. And then I got to L.A., I took a PA job thinking like, oh, like this will be easy, I know what I'm doing. And on the first AD, walks right up to me as soon as I get to set and just starts throwing set terms at me. And I have no fucking idea what he's talking about. Yeah, he's, he's told me that I have to go grab the skins out of the football and start calling uh, Central Casting to verify all the background actors are going to be there. And I didn't know what the skins were, and I didn't know what a football was. And I was like... <laughs> I was blown away I was, and this is on like a really indie set so if I had walked into something even more professional they right. would have fired me but these guys were nice enough to like yeah everybody's on walkies on a film set and production's on channel one and if you have a problem or a question you go to channel two and this AD was really nice about it anytime he asked me to do something over the walkies I didn't get I would take him to channel two and be like hey can you clarify that for me real quick because and he would
0: so yeah so what is what is a football and what are skins
1: a football is uh, a big folder full of all of the important paperwork on a film set okay. and skins are a list of all of the names of your background extras that are going to be there today all of their contact information wow and the names of the agent that that basically hired them for you so if somebody doesn't show up you can figure out who it is and call the agent and, you know, figure out where they're at. Because sometimes people get lost on the way to film sets and stuff. So, yeah, it's just all a matter of organization. Background, it, back, a whole list of... That's got to be a lot of numbers. Uh, it depends on the scene, yeah. The biggest amount of background... Because when I, when I first went to L.A., I spent a lot of time being a PA, which I would definitely, definitely suggest anybody who's trying to move to L.A., who's trying to direct, be a PA. It's dope. Because, I mean, it's, it's a lot of, like, hard work. It's a lot of grunt work. But... You get to sit, uh, if you're good at it, then they start elevating you to higher positions on set. You'll start being key PA and so forth. So you'll end up basically standing next to what's called Video Village, which is where all the monitors are. That's where the directors hang out. That's where the producers hang out. Um, that's where the, the first AD will frequently you know, hop off a set to come over there. And basically, whenever problems occur, that's where they get solved. So you kind of get to be in the center of how a film works that way. Um, so it's, it's really, really vital to be in a position where you get to see... Basically, hear every other position on set's gripes and then mm-hmm. how they're resolved. How they're resolved? That, that's going to make you a better director in the long run. Yeah, so I spent a lot of time being a PA. Um, I forgot the first part of that question. It's
0: okay. No, that's that's exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, you, your advice is to be a PA if you can. Yes. And, uh, you know, if, it, if it's not the director, what's the next,
1: like, fun or interesting position on a film set? So, uh, I, I DP a lot, a director of photography. Okay. Um, some people call it cinematographer, but I feel like that's a really. Uh, pretty title that's reserved for people who have worked in with actual film, which oh. I haven't. I'm very I've been digital my whole career. <laughs> yeah, so uh, a director of photography was so basically my job is to handle the camera and the lighting. Um, so on an indie scale set, generally I'm the person holding the camera. On a larger scale set, the director of photography will oversee the camera department and the lighting department as separate elements, basically. Mm. Um, so they det- but they are the ones who determine um, the look of the film. Uh, like the director will kind of give them an idea of what they want, and then they'll help them create it. So the director will say, like, I want this to feel intimate and the DP will know exactly the camera angle and the lens choice and the lighting choice that's going to make the scene feel intimate. So that's generally my position on set. I get hired for that a lot. Um, But I do that. I learned to do that because I knew that I didn't want to have to relay my ideas to somebody else Mm -hmm. for the sake of any production. I wanted to be able to handle it myself. So for Split Lit, for instance, I have DP'd and directed that movie. And I I will probably end up doing that for maybe the next two or three films that I make personally. Uh, until I'm given enough budget to be able to step back and just handle directing, because that's obviously the goal, is to just be able to watch everything from afar and make sure it's all happening the way you want. Because any, any position that you take on set outside of the one that you're doing, you're taking away a small piece of your attention. Um, so, you know, if I'm DPing and directing, then I'm also monitoring my lighting and my focus, and that might be small moments of emotion that I'm missing, that I, I in post I'll be like, oh, I wish I would have said, said that to the actor, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so you want to be able to focus on one thing, and, and that's when you're in your best. When you're able to focus on your one thing, you can make that thing the best. So Split Lip isn't the first movie you made. No. How many have you made up to this point? Um, short films, I'm not sure. I've been hired on a lot of other people's projects, web series. Um, of my own personal features, mm-hmm. I've only made two feature films for me. I've shot feature films for friends um, and for other clients that are kind of on the same scale as mine, which is basically somewhere around... a. I want to say like $20,000 and below, like full budget for the film, which is great because that's being able to work in that world has is, is taught me a lot about problem solving when you have no money to fix something. Um, but I have two films out right now. One of them is called Run for Your Life, and it's about. Uh, sort of um, mental health archetypes uh, in kind of a downward spiral in a small town, because I grew up in a small town, uh, Yuma, Arizona.
0: <laughs> That's yeah. where we're
1: from. Yeah, <laughs> the good old Yuma. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's about Yuma. We went back and we shot it in Yuma. I actually got to shoot it in my old high school, Kofa. They let me in and they let me use, uh, they let me reach out to a bunch of the drama kids that decided to come out and be a part of the set, which is cool, because a lot of them are you know still pursuing acting now, which is exciting to like meet them at the very early stage of right. their career. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I was going to ask you about that because I knew a few people that were in that one, so... Yeah, every time I go back to Yuma, like, I feel like I meet another person who was like, oh, I was there, or, like, (laughs) I knew someone was there. I I guess um, I wish that I was able to... I was still learning when I made that movie, so I wish I would have got it out sooner because apparently... For like the next two years after we shot the movie in Yuma, it was like a rumor around the school that a movie had been made there. So I probably could have picked up a lot of viewership if I'd gotten it out sooner. Oh, yeah, but sense. I was still I was still getting my feet underneath me, still learning how to finish a project of that size, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and it, every every experience has gotten better. So Run for Your Life was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a very crash and burn, like run and gun indie experience. We were kind of running on fumes by the end of it, but we got it all shot, and that was cool but it took a long time for me to get it from, you know, picture wrap to uh, actually handing it into a distributor. Um, but Split Lip was a much quicker experience for a much um, much bigger project, a much, like, better product in the end, basically. But still, it took way too long. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm, I'm perfecting the process. So the next indie film is going to be turned around much quicker because now that I've seen two films through to what would be considered, like, the end of my job, I kind of, I know the steps and I can get there a little faster. There's not so much, kind of, uh, and dilly-dallying in between, wondering, you know, what is a good decision to do or not? What direction should I take? I now I know the best direction for the size of a product that I'm making, so I can kind of get there a lot quicker now.
0: And uh, what, when filming Split Lip, was there any big surprises that that came across that you you weren't planning for? I um, assume there's always something
1: on a. On we a had uh, one of the one of the major characters in the movie uh, was recast um, three times because uh, uh, just things happening where the actor wasn't able to participate and then the next actor that we cast, um, we ended up shooting a scene with them and then he sort of dropped off the face of the earth, which is, you know, people are, especially artists, they do that sometimes. Okay. Sometimes they, you know, they, they maybe they decide to change their career or they decide that they don't want to be a part of the project or whatever, or, you know, I, especially with artists, sometimes they get nervous so like if the first day was really bad, maybe they feel like they don't want to be a part of it because it's kind of a bad taste in their mouth. Um, so we had to recast that character several times and I got so lucky to get the actor that I did in the role um, uh, Dejan Brown, he's the actor who plays uh, he plays Carlton in the movie which is mm-hmm. the the kind of the villain that, that controls the universe of killers he kind of oversees her activity the whole movie um, He I ended up getting him and he was so so good he was so like still and powerful and funny enough was the youngest actor that went out for that role really? the other two get consecutively older as we go closer to the beginning of the production yeah and uh it's it was really cool to see three different actors read the project three different ways really they all kind of had a different approach to how that character was and how he felt and um but i think dejan was definitely the the best case scenario i landed with a really stellar choice there but i didn't know that that was something that would happen like that would that i would be able to recast an actor three times throughout the course of production and still pull it together um one of the he shares one scene with our lead actress and they were never in the same room together never in the same building together they were shot on separate days months apart from each other <laughs> he was actually staring at a c-stand while he was talking it was just like a, a lighting stand basically that was his eyeline so yeah but obviously you know it feels really good they did a great job kind of matching each other's vibe so uh run for your life you went back to Yuma to shoot yes uh split lip you did
0: partly in la and partly in phoenix yes so wh- why the why the different locations why, why going
1: back to the hometown uh, well, going back to the hometown for Run For Your Life was important because that is where I conceived the story. Uh-huh. Um, I spent a lot of, you know, like if, for people that are listening to this that live in small towns, uh, you spend a lot of time with yourself. You mm-hmm. spend a lot of time in your own thoughts. You spend a lot of time, you know, out on like dark roads that maybe don't have a lot of streetlights. You know, you kind of like you especially if, if you're an artist you spend a lot of time kind of wrapped up in your own energy and some weird shit can come out of that but like <laughs> that, that was kind of like my way of taking all of the weird stuff that I had come up with when I was in high school and then applying it to the archetypes that I had experienced while I lived there so um, the character of Gator and the character of Janice are based off of several people basically who I knew when I was going to school there um, and sort of like the the dangers of their their mindsets when left unattended, you know, so it's kind of like, basically, because the thing about small towns is that there isn't a lot of great healthcare, uh, especially mental healthcare in small towns, mm-hmm. so, like I said, people who are sitting in their own energies, if those are negative energies, you, you know, you turn into something pretty bad, and so that's the, the nature of the film, is kind of what happens when these people are left with their own devices, and they're kind of left in this downward spiral, um, so that was important to do in Yuma because that's where my brain saw it. You know, I didn't want to go to a Midwest small town. I wanted to go to kind of the more barren kind of look that Yuma has, mm-hmm. like the the flatter feel. Um, and what's cool because I, I was able, like, being able to shoot at my old high school was awesome, and some of the old classrooms that I was at was really cool. And it just made the whole thing feel really personal to me. Um, the, actor's house is, it, the actor's house in the film is my house that my parents still live at. Mm-hmm. And so, again, that it's it all, like... I went into that knowing the angles already. I knew where I wanted the camera to be. I knew where I wanted them to be. Um, I, I knew a lot about that movie before I ever finished writing the script. Nice. I knew how I wanted the actors to be because it was, it was all very personal and real, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. I mean, for your first movie, I think that's a good idea. Like, Go with something that you can guarantee will come out the way that you want it to. Like, Don't take a, too big a bite because you're going to falter. That's part of the process. You're going to falter and stumble, so you might as well take something that you know so that when you falter and stumble, you're able to pick yourself up easier. Um, yeah so that was important uh, when it came to split lip uh, I knew that I needed to be able to shoot somewhere where I didn't have to sort of pay a ton of money for basically and Phoenix is like a quarter of the cost of shooting than LA really yeah so like I did I did a week in Phoenix and I did four days in LA and the four days in LA cost more than the week in Phoenix Wow yeah because locations are it's just they're more aware of film so right. the locations just they cost more um, you know they uh, for instance a uh, uh, to get a full day at a location in LA that say like a hospital set, um, will cost me $900 if I'm getting a deal, which I wasn't cause I'm not a student, you know, I'm a professional making movies, so they want their full rate. So, um, I would think it was like 1100 or something like that to shoot at the hospital set. And then, uh, in Arizona, I shot at a junkyard, which was a really dope location it for was. a fight scene. Yeah. yeah. And that cost me $300. Wow. You know, so it's just like, it's a different kind of class of person. Like some, like for the junkyard they were just very relaxed people they didn't mind it they had had you know documentaries come and shoot there before so it was a very easy conversation that I was talking to a person Um, but for a set in LA you know it's a much more like kind of rigid um, uh, inter Unpersonal, I guess, is a good word for experience. Yeah, it's very business-like. So you have to lay out your, you know, um, you have to lay out how many people are going to be on set, uh, where everybody's going to be, where's your holding going to be, you know, that kind of thing. Like all of that, your insurance, all that has to be hashed out beforehand. So um, while I can do that, I can't do that for an entire production because that's just too much money. That's more money than we had available to us. Um, But I, I knew that I had friends and I had support in Arizona that I could bring a production down there and be able to pull off some of the stuff, kind of on by the skin of my teeth. Which is basically what we did, mm-hmm. yeah. But we shot a lot. We covered a lot of ground in the time that we were in Arizona, which is great because that was like eighty percent of the film, and then the rest was just picking it up in uh, uh, back in LA.
0: And I assume that I, I, I have no I have no knowledge of it whatsoever, but I'm assuming that in LA
1: everybody's just making a movie somewhere. Is yeah, that true or not? Yeah, true? or no. making something. No, one hundred percent. There's yeah. a on a constant basis, and it's always on a different scale. So sometimes you're driving and you just see like. Three kids and a DSLR, and you're like, "Oh, that's cute, student film." Um, but sometimes you're driving and you see, you know, you can't park in your neighborhood because there's six trailers lined up on the side of the road. And you're wow. like, Okay, big scale production. Uh-huh. Yeah, but they're they're all over. There's um there's a trick in LA. If you see there's a uh, little yellow signs. Uh-huh. Uh There's always like a little yellow sign just randomly with an arrow. That means that there's a set in that direction. Oh really? Don't go following them because security will bounce your ass. But right. just know that there's a that's set. That's a set yeah. over there. Yeah, and there's always code names, so you never know what's shooting because they don't want you know paparazzi or weirdos. Yeah, you don't to want someone to show up. And yeah. Just yeah, so you see like, weird little yellow signs with like words like fuzzy on them that don't mean anything. It's just that's pointing towards the film set. Yeah.
0: Um, so you uh, split lip, run for your life, you know, mm-hmm. two somewhat different topics. You yeah. said mental health and then yeah, that was split, assassins. Yeah, split lip. It's
1: kind of an action film, more about the consequence of violence, that kind of thing. Next thing you want to do for
0: yourself. If you um, want to talk
1: about it. No, no, yeah, definitely. I, I have um, I have several scripts right now, and I'm I basically I'm bouncing kind of in between them. They're all different genres, and they're kind of different caliber of stories. Um, and I'm kind of, I'm basically, because so right now I'm in the phase of Split Lip where it has been released, and it's the biggest release for me of my career so far, which is, you know, on a very small scale, but it's the biggest thing that I've released so far. So I'm still kind of feeling out what the uh, financial return looks like. Because that sort of thing is important information for the investor of the next project. Right. So, like, Splitlip was done with um, the help of Indiegogo. Which, by the way, if you're doing an Indiegogo and you give everybody their perks back, it's the best feeling in the world. Nice. So you feel like yeah? you feel like you've completed the cycle when everybody gets their perks and they get to go to the premiere. It was dope. Um, but yeah. So. Uh, we did it with the help of Indiegogo, which wasn't very much. I think we came out with maybe seven or eight grand Indiegogo total, and the rest was my money. Um, that put me into debt for several years, but that's how you to do it. <laughs> that's how it yeah, happens. Yeah, that's how it happens, man. <laughs> that's indie film. So uh, that was full it. So the next one, obviously, we want to get somebody else's money on there so that we can you know, deliver the product faster. We don't have to wait to keep refilling our own bank account to pull it off. Um, so I'm still in the phase right now where I'm waiting to see what the returns look like and how much... I can promise to make somebody's money back, you know, with another film of a similar scale. Uh, and then, you know, depending on what they're able to give me, I might be able to get, uh, you know, a lower-name celebrity, which is a thing that really, really helps sell the movie in the long run. Um, so that kind of thing is is that that all of that has a bearing on which scripts basically that we go with. Right. Um, we've been working on this uh, this back web series that's been a ton of fun, and that we've created this sort of superhero audience from that. So obviously, I have an indie superhero script. Um, that's some like original characters that I've come up with that uh, myself and uh, a buddy of mine who would be co-directing as a VFX uh, lead, of VFX are both really excited about. Uh, but again, that's a thing that we think could do really well with some marketing resources. You know, as we could get it out in front of more people than just our friends and family. Um, so we want to make sure that we have the ability to tell somebody, yes, I can make your ten grand back. You know, within a year's time mm-hmm. before we sort of venture into something like that. Right. Yeah.
0: So uh, what what directors? did you look up to did you were you interested in
1: um i had several i think um obviously all the big ones everybody loves the big ones but uh, i came up you know like tarantino rodriguez i always loved their vibe i love the they just go out and do it yourself vibe The kind of make your own rules vibe um i was very much that i i got um a lot of people compared me to rodriguez when i was just like younger making movies just because it was very much like if everybody else leaves i'm gonna do this on my own i'm gonna keep going kind of thing and um, I have a problem with waiting. I'm really bad with waiting, so like that, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to like buy and own my own equipment, so that you know w- if somebody dropped out, I wouldn't have to like oh I can't shoot today because I don't have a camera. Like I will always have a camera. I will always have lights. Uh, I will always have the ability to go shoot something. You know I don't want to be held back by anything. Um, so in that regard, obviously I, I can't I can't take that ideology and not credit Robert Rodriguez for doing something like that. You know for bringing that into the indie mm-hmm. film world. Um, I love uh, I love Neil Marshall. I feel I feel really bad that. Uh, that Hellboy didn't do right, very yeah. well in theaters yeah I didn't go I actually didn't, didn't go see it theater so theater. I'm part of the problem there um, yeah, I but, thought it was good oh good okay yeah yeah. I mean I looked like uh, somebody described it as like a pulpy thing like a pulpy superhero which is great um, but yeah I, I love that you know he's kind of flown under the radar just making cool movies his whole career and he's done some of the best episodes of Game of Thrones and no one knows his name right and I think that's really cool like you don't have to be the celebrity director you just have to do your job right yeah yeah, so I mean, there's, uh, there's, you know, uh, James Wan in his early career. I think he was doing some really, really cool stuff with indies. Um, what was it? Do you remember the name of the movie he did with Kevin Bacon? Uh, I always forget the name. Is it but something? It was, the Wood? Was it in the Wood? No, I don't no know. it was. It was about the like he like gets revenge on the guys that kill his kid. Oh, Death Sentence. Yes, Death Sentence. Yeah, yeah. There's like there's some great stuff in that movie. There's like this. Uh, amazing one shot in that film that, like, people like, yeah, people yeah. don't know about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, watched like, that
0: like last year. I was like, there's an amazing shot in here. Yeah. With the, it's like you going from floor to floor the in that big structure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah I, I loved him. I remember uh, just being enamored with what he did with Saul. Like, I remember sitting, watching Saul with my friend, just being on the edge of my seat the whole time, the first one when it first came out, and just being blown away by it, by, mm-hmm. you know, the twist and the, what he did with one room, you know, and the movie takes place in one place and how he kept it interesting the whole time. Right. So, yeah, stuff like that. So um,
0: yeah, is, yeah, I mean, is there? Would you say that you are going to focus on one genre, or are you going to try and do as many things as you can, or you don't you don't you don't particularly care for romantic comedies?
1: No, I don't. I think <laughs> um, I don't know if I would ever focus on one genre because that, that's kind of hard for me to grasp because there isn't one genre that I hang on to myself personally. I I, I like to think that I'm eclectic with my movie tastes. Um, But one thing that is definitely certain is um, I like stakes, and I like movies that take things seriously. Okay. So, like, whatever the circumstances are, um, I just don't want it to be Mm tongue-in-cheek. I'm not a big fan of tongue-in-cheek. I don't like... I don't want to laugh at the the circumstances of the film while I'm in the film unless it's defined as a comedy. Right. Um, I think the last time that I loved a movie like that was like you know the 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 Brendan Fraser like Mummies. Okay. You know? Yeah. So yeah. like, it, but it just at, at a certain point once Disney realized that they had kind of a thing with that, right. And like every blockbuster is now kind of very tongue in cheek and very. Yeah. I I just I like them better when I can care about things on an emotional level. Um. So so whatever it is, if it's if it's sci-fi, if it's fantasy, if it's um, you know, a little more down-home drama, like movies like *The Fighter*, are brilliant. I mm-hmm. think you know, I love just when I can care about people on a very like uh, face-to-face, personal scale. Uh, I think that is a is a powerful movie. That's a movie that you take home and that it rolls around in your head for a little bit. And, you know, and the next day, even if you don't like it, if you're still thinking about you're it, still thinking the about movie it. won. Yeah, you know, like that's yeah. the point is it stays in your head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've seen, I've seen movies with people where in the theater I've watched them be affected by it. I've watched them, you know, you kind of see them like lean in a little bit or you see them like get real tense or you you can kind of feel them be really, really uncomfortable in a sequence that's supposed to be uncomfortable. And afterwards, they'll be like, I hated it. And you're like, oh, you hated it. But it worked. But you were in, yeah. you were engaged. Yeah, but it got like yeah. it, you hated it because you were supposed to hate. it. You're not supposed to be happy about that You're, kind of exactly. Thing. Yeah. 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 So I, I like that. So across all genres, as long as I'm making something that I think is emotionally engaging for an audience, then I think I'm doing my job. And obviously, there, I still have a lot to learn. I'm not making perfect films at this level in my career, and I shouldn't be. That would be insane. I have to make. A, yeah. I've got maybe 10 more so-so films before I can make what I consider a perfect <laughs> one. You know, like you got to keep doing it to learn what works and what doesn't like there are decisions in split lip that I thought like this is definitely going to work and it didn't and for a mass audience certain elements really didn't work and every now and then you get like reviews from people that like you know something that everybody else hated they loved and you're like okay good, one person got it one person yeah, got yeah <laughs> but that's not the point is to you know make one person happy is to make the widest audience right. happy possible so it means that I'm doing the wrong thing or using the wrong tools to create the wrong effect and I need to hone that skill so that when I walk into any scene in any genre I know the best way to make that scene in that genre the most effective version of what it can be essentially. Awesome.
0: Yeah. So when you're not creating, which I'm sure there's not a lot of time when you're not creating. Not a lot. No. What is it that <laughs> that you love to sit down and do geek
1: out about? Um I love I love comic books. Um I I've, I've read them since I was a kid. Uh, big DC fan obviously. Um my brother's a big collector. I've recently started collecting, so I have a really like random collection of like figures and statues that have no like cohesiveness whatsoever <laughs> like, on, on shelves. Um, I like drawing a lot. I'm not I'm not super good at drawing, but it's one of those things that like it, anybody can pick it up. Anybody can legitimately continue drawing until their muscles and their hands figure it out. You know, it's right. just a it's a, a talent that you can just sort of grow. So that's really fun to keep doing. You know, if I'm in an airport or if I'm burnt out from a day of shooting or editing and I just want to hang out then I'll just sit down with my wife and we'll put on something and I'll just kind of doodle and that's a very like uh, coming from an industry where to create something you need a team and you need a bunch of tools to be able to just create something with pencil and paper is a very like refreshing experience um, you know so that's that's I find that very calming um, I love my cat I love playing with her <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I do I do like I, I used to be when I, in my earlier career I was very I was like a workaholic for sure I worked too long, I didn't sleep as much, I didn't eat as much as I should have. Um, And I was, you know, I would find myself burning out on simple problems. I would have like my editing, you know, equipment would go down for the day because of a bug. And I would just lose my cool. And like being with Seth was great because she taught me like the value of relaxing in between. Obviously like hard work is important. And you should ne- you should always like uh, like our good buddy The Rock says you should always be the hardest working guy in any room. Like there you that's go. yeah that's a great piece of advice. So you know working hard is great, putting in long hours is great. That's how you move you know further faster. But if you're not relaxing in between, then you're not doing your best work. Right. You have to hit the reset button. So uh, I've definitely learned that at the end of long days or at the end of a long stretch of work, even if we're tied on money if I'm not taking a moment to like relax and watch a movie or you know to just go for a walk with Steph and play Pokemon Go with her for a little bit or something you know if I'm not doing things like that then I'm not resetting my mental state enough and the next thing that I work on is going to be sloppy because yeah. I'm going to make a mistake you mm-hmm. know and you want you want your work to always be as crisp as it can be so you got to hit the reset button
0: well thank you I'm taking up a lot of your time here I'm glad that you are I'm super happy that you could come and Talk, talk to me on the yeah. podcast. Yeah, dude, I'm glad you wanted to talk to me. This is cool. No, no. I, like I said, I enjoyed your movie a lot, so I'm glad that we got to talk about it. And then, oh, what was your talking? favorite part? My favorite part was literally that the last fight scene, like the fight scene when the it's it's her and well, I don't want to give away too much. The big dude. Oh, her and uh, yeah, and then Alexander.
1: Yeah, so yeah. I'm just sitting
0: there like. What is she gonna do? Yeah, and it it's, it plays out pretty fucking awesome.
1: Yeah, I had a I had a really weird uh, a YouTube comment came out of nowhere. Is this this kind of like Meninist guy that was just like, oh, there's another movie about women just kicking the shit out of guys? Like Aww. that's not possible. Which is funny because if he took the time to watch it, he would see that I always take into account her size. Yes, and you her size. Yeah, she gets her ass kicked the whole film, the whole movie. Yeah, my my goal going into it was to not not have it be uh, unbelievable, but just to show that killing isn't about like your level of martial arts skill it's how far are you willing to take the moment and exactly. she always takes it just a step further than they do just to, she, yeah like you know when he comes at her with a lot of um, you know like uh, Alexander comes to seek her out with a lot of respect of like well hand to hand combat right. and she brings weapons she's always ready and she's just all about survival so it's, it's like survived, taking the yeah. next step yeah Yeah, I yeah. like that I did, I did like that a lot Dope. So. I'm glad you picked up on that glad you <laughs> uh, so if uh, people want to if they still haven't had a chance to watch it yet. They should go to? Uh, you guys can watch it on Amazon Prime uh, or on a, an app called Tubi. If you guys aren't watching movies on Tubi, it's actually really dope. I was confused when the distributor first told me, like, yeah, we're going on Tubi. And he was really, really excited about it. I'd never heard of it. And so I looked it up, and it's it's like this really cool, like, sub-genre Netflix, basically, oh. but it's free. Okay. So it's just uh, just uh, thousands of movies on Tubi that are free, and it's like a bunch of, like, action and horror and comedy. It's all these things, and they even have, like, a not-on-Netflix section. Nice. Yeah, yeah so it's super cool. So we got on there, and um, we really, really hit it off with that audience. Like, the the, the numbers for Split Lip on Tubi were great. So we were, we're actually doing really good on Tubi. So the only—it's got—there's ads, so there's, like, time for you to take a pee break and stuff. Um, but yeah, that either Tubi or Amazon Prime, we're doing really good on both of those. So I would watch it on one of those too. Sounds great. Yeah. Uh, social media? Social media uh, for me or for the movie? Whichever we want to give out. Uh, the movie, you can just find us on Instagram, split that movie. I mean, I would just suggest go watch the movie. Don't look us up. We don't post that often. Okay. Just go see the movie. <laughs> all right. Um, but if, if you guys are if you guys listening are into film or into indie film, um, I do have an Instagram where I basically just give away all my tricks. And it's called uh, Chef underscore shoots underscore indie. Chef shoots indie. And that chef spelled like my last name, S H E F F. Um, but on that, I basically just break down when I work on a film set. I talk about what cameras I used. If you want lighting advice, I'll tell you guys how to light a scene or why I light a scene a certain way. And uh, that's specifically for giving away all that stuff. Um, if you look up me up by my name, then you'll just find pictures of my cats and my wife, <laughs> which is cool, too, if you're into that. That's fine. All right. Thank you again, Chris, for, for being on here. So this is
0: uh, Mitch and Christopher Sheffield on the floor of Phoenix Fan Fusion 2019 saying, always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.